Hey, everybody. Is this on? Can y'all hear me? All right. All right, guys. So today we're going to continue our study in systematic theology. This is our second and final week that we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit. And so just a review of what we talked about last week. Last week, we took some time to kind of look at the Trinity and kind of what that looks like. Um, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the personhood of the Holy Spirit is what we focused on. Today, instead of focusing on the personhood of the Holy Spirit, we're actually going to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. So, to start out today, we're going to start with a verse out of John 3, verse 5 through 8. It says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Your heart, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. One of the things I want to talk about real quick is, and, and even that ver- verse kind of tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is invisible. He's, he's elusive and mysterious. And that's kind of one of the things we focused on last week is that even though the Holy Spirit is elusive and mysterious and sometimes hard for under for us to understand is nonetheless real and it's a he it's a person it's the person of the trinity and so even though he's mysterious sometimes we're susceptible and even in my own life and in in the when i study and look at things to kind of make distortions of his person and his work and so what we need to do is kind of listen carefully to scripture to, to make sure that we fully understand and get right who he is and what he does in our lives and in the church so Um, kind of a way we're going to start today is we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit is revealed to us, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament with the New Covenant. So, first off, um, in the Old Testament, God promises to give his people his spirit. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, and I, God, will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Um, Now, what we see is this was a promise that was made in the Old Testament that God actually fulfills for us in the New Testament with the New Covenant. Um, But even though we see the the fulfillment of this verse in the New Testament, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was completely absent. Now, it's not as overt and easy for us to see as it is in the New Testament. Obviously, we see the Holy Spirit today at Pentecost in the New Testament. But in the... In the Old Testament as well, what we can see is that in specific circumstances, the Holy Spirit was at work in certain men's lives for special service for the Lord. We're going to look at a few of those examples. Um, If we look back through the Old Testament, what we see are several instances in Judges with Gideon and Samson where the things that they did were totally empowered by the Holy Spirit, okay? And if we look back at Judges 6.34, we see that with Gideon. and 13.25, we see that with Samson. Um, also we see that in men such as Joshua and David um, and Daniel all of these are specific instances where the Holy Spirit was at work in these men's lives to perform a specific special service Okay, Um, and it doesn't frequently talk about the Spirit of God in the Old Testament but what we see is he was working in and among his people um, in the Old Testament as well as the New, New Testament that said what we need to look at is the promise that suggests that the more powerful, fuller work of the Holy Spirit is to come the New Testament and the New Covenant. Uh, Peter talks about this uh, when he quotes the Old Testament, Prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Now, um, what we see from all these verses is that not only that the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of God's people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but if we look, what we're about to go through and what we're going to see is there's a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament than what we see in the, in the Old Testament. Um, now, kind of what we've looked at is how he's revealed to us in both the Old and New Testament. Now there are several ways that we're going to see how the Spirit is at work, both in the church and in our lives. The first way that he's at work is he's the one who gives life. Uh, first off, in creation, when, and this is Psalms 104, verse 30, when you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. The Spirit gives life. In Job 34, 14, and 15, it says, If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together, and man would return to the dust. So what we see is that not only does the Spirit create life, but then the Spirit sustains life. Um, a, a way that we see this in our lives today is through the regeneration of our hearts and our lives whenever Christ comes in. So the, so the Spirit is the one who regenerates us. Just as uh, it's his role to give physical life and breath, he regenerates us. Jesus tells Nicodemus um, that he must be born again, by the Spirit in John 3, 6 through 7, and that's a verse that we talked about last week. Um, and, and, and if we think about it, just as we can't make ourselves new, there's the action that something else, someone else is doing that, and that's the Holy Spirit. We can't make ourselves a new creation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. It's not us. It's not anything that we can do. It's by God's grace that we're regenerated and become new beings through Jesus Christ. Now, um, one of the second things, and there's a lot of these, so I'm going to try to jump through them as quickly as I can to make sure Jared's not back there waving his arms at me um, because it's time to quit. But the second thing that we look at is he's the one who purifies us. Now, there's several different ways that he is the one that purifies us. First, cleansing from sin. When we become a Christian, there's this initial cleansing of the sinful patterns and sinful habits that are in our life. Um, Jesus explained to Nicodemus that we must be born again, and he also said that we'd have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Now, later on in the New Testament, Paul explains this a little more fully for us in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Christ by the Spirit of our God. So what we see is as the indwelling of God comes into our lives, what we see is that the Holy Spirit does an initial cleansing work in our lives to free us from sin. Now, what we see next is after the initial cleansing, we see that He can bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Um, as we grow in the Lord and we're continually sanctified, the Holy Spirit brings about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we're going to look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Spirit-filled life is one in which the Holy Spirit is at work producing these fruits in our lives. Um, it's the work of God in our lives that reflects His character that seeks to purify us. Now, the last thing that, well, not exactly the last, the, the next thing that we're going to look at in his work as the one who um, cleanses us and purifies us is the fact that we get conviction from sin through the Holy Spirit. Um, 
Now, if we're honest about ourselves, we all know that even though we've been cleansed initially um, from sin and we have fruit of the Spirit even operating in our lives, there are times where we miss the mark and we veer from that path. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of that. John 16, 8, Jesus says to the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit where that sense of conviction isn't exactly what it should be, but nonetheless, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. And I think one of the important implications for us to realize in, in this is when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit individually. Because this is a very individualistic thing when we look at how he cleanses us from sin. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit and then he convicts is that we're not the Holy Spirit. And so I think that as Christians what we try to do sometimes is to con- help others um, with their Holy Spirit and convict people um, for the things that they do. And what that winds up doing is just kind of offering a shallow manipulation in people's lives rather than speaking truth. And so our job is to lovingly and gently speak truth into other people's lives and then pray for them rather than trying to be their Holy Spirit. Um, Because that's not our job, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. What's that now? Okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) So... One of the things we need to remember is that we're not the Holy Spirit and that it's our job to lovingly and gently speak truth into other people's lives rather than pretending to be the Holy Spirit because that's not our job, that's his job. And that's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like regeneration is, conviction is something that the Holy Spirit's going to do. Anything that we can do is shallow and manipulative and it's not really what we need to be doing. Okay, so... If we, and then, let's take that a step further. If we look at how, how it's the Holy Spirit's job to regenerate us, I think that, at least in my life and probably in other people's lives, we have this tendency to say, okay, it's the Holy Spirit's work. I don't have to work out my salvation. I don't have to do anything because the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that regenerates me. I don't know if y'all remember. It was probably six or eight weeks ago we talked about this um, earlier in the summer that it's not just this passive thing that we have nothing to do with. Yes, the actual regeneration that the Holy Spirit brings about is something that he does that we can't do. But we look no further than Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And it says, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It just says that this isn't a passive thing that we just have no part of. It, continu- it says that we need to continually work out our surve- salvation. Um, that we just can't sit idly by and just let the Holy Spirit work on us, that it's an active part for us as well. Um, and this, this appears throughout Scripture in, in the New Covenant with Ezekiel, once again in thirty six twenty seven, it says, I will put my spirit in you and you will move to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Um, and we make choices every day. We make choices to be patient. We make choices to be loving. We make choices to be kind. Um, And one of the things that we need to remember is that um, it's challenging to be obedient. It's challenging to (laughs) continually work out the fruit of our spirit, fruit of the spirit in our lives. But if we rely on him to do that, then that's what his job is for us. His commands are not burdensome. In 1 John it says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If we're just willing ourselves to his work in our lives. Jesus is the one who empowers. This is point three under the work of the Holy Spirit. 
first off, he empowers and works in Jesus. At the incarnation in Luke 1.35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He also does this in his life and ministry in Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. So, we see first and foremost that Jesus and that the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in his incarnation, and then, furthermore, in his ministry. Next, we see that the Holy Spirit empowers the body, us, with spiritual gifts. Um, he gives gifts to people for the purpose of edifying and building up the church. Um, God's people are unified together in Christ. We're diverse. We're different because each of us have different spiritual gifts that have been gifted to us by the Holy Spirit to come together and edify us as a body. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, verses 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. He says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. It's easy for us to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us through this scripture, and each of us are different. And that just shows us, like we talked about last week, the diversification even within the triune Godhead is translated to the diversification of of us as a body. Um, And each one has a different spiritual gift that is used for building up and edifying the church, which we're empowered through the Holy Spirit. Um, Another really uh, interesting thing that we need to look at is is that the Holy Spirit is also the one who prays for us. This is an active thing that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf. Um, Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The the Spirit intercedes for saints in accordance with God's will. Um, Fifth thing um, on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is he's the one who gives us assurance of our salvation. Um, Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. This is kind of the highest form of assurance that we can have in our lives. And there's no greater assurance um, in the Christian life than to know that you belong to Christ. Um, One... One of the things that's important to realize here is that this is not just um, a subjective feeling. Like, I know that people would say, yes, I feel that I belong to God, and the Holy Spirit is the one that allows me to feel that. That's true. You may have some feeling of belonging to God, but one of the things that we need to know is that it's based off objective realities that exist in Scripture. One, God promises in Scripture that we belong to Him if we have faith, all right? Two, the finished work of Christ on the cross shows us that he has promised us that in Scripture. And three, the evidences of God's work within us, like we talked about before. Evidence of regeneration in our life, evidence of the fruits of the Spirit working in and throughout our lives show that we have been regenerated and that we are part of God's family and that we belong to him. Um, 
Paul writes in Romans, uh, the sinful mind does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. What does that show us? Exactly what we just talked about. That if the Spirit of God is living in you, or the Holy Spirit, and you are acting those things out, the fruit of the Spirit are apparent, then that's assurance that you belong to Him. Next thing, as the one, the Holy Spirit is also at work as the one who inspired our scripture. Now about 40 different men at different times wrote the Bible. And to think about how, how it lines up, and we're not going to get into all of, yes, the inerrancy of scripture and how that plays out. But what we can look at is that um, you have 40 different men that were all inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things, and they all came together how they should. Um, 2 Peter one twenty one says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So several times, and this is important to understand too, several times um, in Scripture we see that all Scripture is God-breathed, and then the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is referred to as the breath of God. So what we see is that these scriptures are telling us is that the Holy Spirit was the one who inspired these men to write the Bible. Jesus also made it clear that the Spirit uh, would inspire the apostles in writing. And he said, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John fourteen twenty six. So let's just recap real quick what we've talked about. If we're talking about all the different works of the Holy Spirit, we see that first, he is the one who gives us life. After that, he purifies through one, cleansing from sin, the fruit of the Spirit, and then convicting us of our sin. He's the one who empowers both Jesus and us with our spiritual gifts. He's the one who prays for us. He's the one who gives us assurance of our salvation. And he's the one who inspires Scripture. Now, the last thing that we're going to talk about as specific works of the Holy Spirit is that he's also the one who teaches us as we go throughout our Christian life. John sixteen thirteen, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. And then 1 Colossians two twelve, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God has freely given us. Okay. Now, one of the, what we've done so far is looked at specific acts um, that we see that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and in the life of the church. Now, what we're going to look at even more specifically are passages that talk about the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and us as a body. Um, One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is like we talked about with spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit raises up leaders. He raises up teachers, once again, through those different spiritual gifts that he gifts us. Um, Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What that tells us in Acts 20.28 is that the Holy Spirit is one who gifts different people to be able to be an overseer, to be a shepherd, to do whatever it is in the body that you're doing to build it up. Like we talked about, that's what those spiritual gifts are for. 
um, the Holy Spirit also actively works to strengthen, unify, and encourage the new covenant church, as we've seen in the early church and then even today, when the church throughout Judea, this is in Acts 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, giving, living in the fear of the Lord. So we see that not only does God... I mean, the Holy Spirit enact those spiritual gifts in our lives, then he sets us up in a position to be able to use those spiritual gifts for service because having those spiritual gifts doesn't really mean a whole lot if we're not using them to edify the body like he set forth for us to do. So we see that he gives them and gifts them, and then he sets us up to be able to use those by putting people in different positions in the body. Um, that's translated all the way from Acts in the New Testament church to what we see enacted out and even, even in our church today. Um, okay, one of the things we need to talk about now is there are several verses that um, sort of talk about things that there could be a little bit of controversy in the church. Um, one of those phrases is baptism in the Holy Spirit and what that means for our lives. Uh, we could do 12 weeks on this, and I'm going to try to do it in 10 minutes. Um, thanks, Jared. So um, I'm going to do my best to explain what I feel like is right and, and what I feel like is biblical, and then um, we'll go from there. So um, we've talked about all the different works um, of the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to talk about now is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the references to the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and what that looks like and what that means for our lives today. So, for example, in Luke 3.16, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in Acts 1.5, the Lord says, John baptized with water, but in a few days we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what denomination you are, there's a certain sect, the Pentecostal Church, the Assemblies of God, would take these two verses to mean a couple different things. One, that baptism in the Holy Spirit is ordinarily an event following conversion. Okay, so you have conversion here. You're a Christian, but you're not baptized and working under the operation of the fullness of the Holy Spirit you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now you're here. Now you're working under the operation of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So there's this conversion over here, baptism in the Holy Spirit in the middle, and now you're working under full operation of the Holy Spirit. That's what they would believe. So the physical manifestation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, according to the Pentecostal or the Assemblies of God Church, would be the physical act of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave you utterance. Okay. Let's dissect that a little bit. Um, I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church. Uh, I was raised, I mean, from the time I was born to the time I was 15, I went to an Assemblies of God Church. And so this is something that I've seen throughout my own life. And even after, when I was about 15, we switched churches, but another charismatic church were speaking in tongues and the physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit were apparent in every service that I've been in. And so for me, and I actually like that I get to talk about this, because this is something that I've actually looked at from both sides of it and kind of seen and kind of came to my own conclusions, which kind of line up, thankfully, with what, what, we, what we're talking about today. Um, so, according to these Christians, you receive the Spirit in two stages. First, a limited manner at conversion, and then secondly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that do for us? I mean, if we really think about that, 
we have all these classes of Christianity. So in society, then you have non-Christians over here. You have ordinary Christians who are Christians but haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then over here, you've got spirit-filled Christians. Okay, that's basically what this doctrine would teach us is that if you can't receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you're converted, then that would indicate that they're ordinary Christians and that they're spirit-filled Christians. Now, let's look at what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. For we were all baptized in or by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. Okay, what does that tell us? Paul is telling us that as far as he's concerned, baptism in the Holy Spirit refers to the activity of the Holy Spirit at conversion. When you are regenerated, you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, um, what that's saying is, is it's not some extra secondary spiritual experience for only those extra spiritual Christians, okay? What he's saying is, is that if we're all baptized, enter by one spirit into one body, that when you are saved, you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, um, and even so, we never finally arrive. We're continually being sanctified throughout our Christian life until we reach heaven anyway. So I feel like, yes, you can take some verses that we see, especially at the day of Pentecost and in Acts. And those are those verses. There are seven times in the New Testament where the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit is used. And the Pentecostal church, and I'm not saying that it's, it's just kind of a difference of interpretation of what this means, but they're using a couple different verses to say that if you're not doing these things, you're not operating under the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Whereas Paul is saying in this verse, okay, if you receive, the, if you receive Christ, you, you're converted, then you do receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now that's different from another phrase that we're going to talk about that's called being filled with the Spirit. Second phrase in Scripture that we need to talk about is being filled with the Spirit. This is talked about too. Paul tells us in Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being with the Holy, filled with the Holy Spirit often results in an increased sanctification and increased power for ministry. So, if we say that we, when you're converted, I know this gets confusing. If, when we say that if you're converted here and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the fullness of that Holy Spirit. But what happens is, is that as you're continually filled with the Holy Spirit, you can receive a different anointing and a different empowering for service and ministry throughout your life. And that goes back to what we talked about, that once you're regenerated, that doesn't mean that it's a passive thing. You work out your faith. Same thing here, um, is that being filled with the Spirit is a continual process that happens throughout our Christian life, whereas baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that happens at conversion. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, next question is, okay, if that's the case, if, if at um, conversion, then you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then you say, why did Pentecost happen? Why, okay, if the disciples who, who were baptized in the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost, if they were already baptized in the Holy Spirit, why does it say that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Best explanation that we can come up with is that those disciples were now receiving the new covenant power of the Holy Spirit. I've heard Wayne Grudem and some other New Testament theologians talk about this. What happened at Pentecost is this extraordinary, incredible work of the Holy Spirit that had never happened before. And it's just a special circumstance. But if we look further in Acts and in the New Testament, we see the way that Paul describes it is that it was just something extraordinary. That, that 
the covenant or the power of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant was coming to the disciples. And that's kind of the explanation for what happened at the day of Pentecost as not something that we have to have as speaking in tongues to be saved and to, to be full in Christ or full in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was the quick um, explanation that could have taken 10 weeks to talk about. So, um, in recap, what we talked about today is not only is the, do we see evidence of the Holy Spirit in the New, but also in the, in the Old Testament through different leaders such as Gideon, Joshua, Daniel. What we saw is he works in several, several different ways in our lives to give us assurance, inspire scripture, he empowers us, gives us spiritual gifts. And then also we talked about some of the different ways or different, different theories on the, the way the Holy Spirit works in the church today. Uh, and then next week we'll continue um, with God's plan of redemption. That's all I got.